you have to be really thoughtful. What are your goals? What are your financial goals, both short, medium, and long-term? How are you thinking about retirement planning? You know, which by the way, I never wanted to think about retirement planning in my twenties. I mean, that's like, that's lame. It's boring. It's important though. And I think now I've, I've, I've seen, you know, the, the magic of the compounding interest, the magic of passive income, the magic of optionality. Really what this comes down to is you want to preserve your degrees of freedom in this lifetime, particularly if you're, if you're working hard, you're making money, you want to be able to have options. And I think that's what money provides. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. With us today, we have one of the most infectious, influential, and charismatic leaders that I've ever had the privilege to meet in my life. Ariel Gross Samuels is the head of global business strategy and engagement at Facebook. She leads a team on global business marketing that builds initiatives and strategic partnerships focused on social good and business equality in service of over 140 million plus businesses all over the world. She's been at Facebook since 2013 and has now held a number of roles at the company, including most recently serving as a business lead for global business marketing and creative, running the business of the global organization and serving as a strategic advisor to the VP of global business marketing and the chief creative officer at Facebook. She has an immense amount of accolades. She's been named a Forbes 30 under 30 in marketing and advertising. She's a part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as a goalkeeper. She's a representative on the United Nations Women Global Initiative Coalition for Change. She's a venture partner at the Venture Collective. She's a lead of the Facebook Women's Group in New York and a founding member of Chief and also the advisor for Built by Girls. And most notably, she holds a Bachelor in Science in Material Science and Engineering from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and founded the Ariel Gross Engineering Visionary Scholarship Fund at her alma mater to accelerate the diversity of engineering students. Ariel, it is so good to have you on today. I'm excited to chat with you. It's been a long time coming. Really appreciate you spending time with us this afternoon. First and foremost, how's your summer going? <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's been quite the summer, unexpected. You know, I was planning on going to Africa for my honeymoon, and those plans have drastically changed. But it's been nice. We've uh, I live in New York City, so we now have alfresco dining and seeing friends at a distance. And so I'm trying to enjoy 
cooking and, you know, some of the little things. What are you cooking up lately? I make a pretty mean black bass. So fish has been my new jam and different marinades, different ways of baking it. But uh, yeah, that's been fun. Love it. Uh, if and when I get to travel back to New York, I might kind of insert myself and ask you for a nice home cooked meal. Awesome. I look forward to that. Perfect. So again, I'm super excited to dig into your career, really expand on what you've been able to accomplish, extract a lot of useful nuggets, and hopefully hopefully get some great tips. Um, So to kick us off, I really want to look at how you've gone to where you are. You're super accomplished. Your personality is infectious. You've done so many great things throughout your career. So I'm curious, before we even dig into that, if we look back at Arielle when she was a little kid, what did she actually think she wanted to be when she grew up? <laughs> I thought I wanted to be an actress. And, and people reinforced that. I loved being on stage. I took dance classes. I took acting lessons. I took singing. So I, I always thought that that would be where my career led me. And I was told, um, choose something with a higher likelihood of success. Fair. Like many. Exactly. Well, first of all, you're in an incredible place. But what's always interesting is like many kids, they have aspirations to become an astronaut, a firefighter, a soccer player. It doesn't matter what the title is. Oftentimes, we don't necessarily pursue our dreams, but our career takes us in really interesting pathways. So what changed for you? I know you just mentioned that obviously you were told to look at something more sustainable or successful, but really what made you pivot and not pursue kind of this acting or actress career? Yeah. So when I was in high school, my mom basically forced me to go to this engineering camp. And at the time I thought it was social suicide. (laughs) I went kicking and screaming. But she thought, you know, you'll get exposed to how people solve problems and how um, different sectors of engineering operate. And so when she drove me um, to the front door of this camp, before I got out, she said, now don't hold back and let the boys do all the work. Get in there, have fun. And sure enough, I did. And, you know, I remember in that camp, we were building, you know, inflatable boats with cardboard. And uh, one of the teachers said, you know, you think like an engineer. I like the way you think. And that was the spark and that was that reinforcement of, oh, I I do actually really enjoy solving problems and I am really curious and where can this take me? And so from there, I ended up studying material science and engineering and from there doing engineering consulting and, you know, one thing leads to another, but I think like the takeaway for me is that it's all about exposure. What what you get exposed to, particularly as as a girl, as a young girl, we're not, we don't see a lot of STEM in pop culture, in, in media. And so um, that exposure is really key. And then, of course, getting the reinforcement helps spark further ideas. I love that. And there's so many specific things that you hit on there that I definitely want to unpack. Maybe we'll do it one by one. Uh, but it's truthfully funny because I personally went to an engineering camp when I was really young. <laughs> but it is a little bit more prominent for young boys or men to be pushed down that route. And it's becoming a little bit better nowadays. But I know that you personally take that to heart. You genuinely care about empowering women and pushing this message that it's possible for men and women to go down similar career pathways and we don't have to limit ourselves. 
what really drove you to kind of empower women to work in different movements and think through that? Was it your mom or was it something else? Yeah, I think it was a culmination of factors. Um, so first of all, I remember being in those engineering classes and thinking, gosh, if only there were more women, if only there were more girls. I felt like every time I opened my mouth to speak, I was, I had the burden to represent the entire gender on my shoulders. And so um, certainly there was a, there was a problem of who was present in even having the conversations. And of course, now we know that a lot of solutions were designed with men as the prototype, you know, seatbelt usage and things like that. And so realizing that you need a, a broad set of cognitive diversity in the room to make better solutions, more creative solutions is something that I took to heart at a young age, basically because of my experience being, you know, the token girl in, in engineering, um, many of my classes and labs. I think from there it was, you know, I started to look at executive leadership. I, you know, I read Lean In, of course. I got inspired, um, and, and and the dearth of executives, particularly at Fortune 100 companies who are women, was astounding. And so then I started to think, well, what are the levers I can pull? And so, you know, in my personal life, I, I do work with the United Nations Women. Um, I serve on a coalition called the Global Innovation Coalition for Change, which partners private sector and the UN together to accelerate gender parity. I lead our Facebook New York women's group to help build a community that, that fosters empowerment and innovation. Um, and I do, you know, some various things on the side, including angel investing. I know, I know, you know, this is a, a finance forward podcast, um, angel investing in women. And how can we particularly help write those, those seed checks at an early stage in an entrepreneur's life, particularly for diverse entrepreneurs, uh, women included, to help build solutions that we think will help make the world a better place. I love that. And interestingly enough, I, I feel like you might have heard this or read this elsewhere as well, that especially when it comes to investing in women-led companies, women, again, end up receiving a lot less funding. And there's a lot of bias there. But I believe there was a study done by Harvard where they looked at if we put women behind a curtain with men and we don't talk about their gender and kind of black out the, the voices were able to kind of remove that bias and look at women in an unbiased way and really enable people to just think about the ideas, think about what they're trying to grow and the business that they're trying to put out into the world. And again, we're going to have to, our generation, Gen Z, everyone going forward will have to work together to break down a lot of these barriers and biases that we've built up over time. We're definitely living in an era where that's progressing and it's moving, but I deeply commend you for all the work that you're doing right now. So more power to you, anybody listening, any woman listening, man listening, these are barriers that we're going to have to break down together. I love that you said that. And especially the point on allyship, like we have to lock arms. I, I want powerful men wealthy men who control businesses, who control economies to be taking this as their personal agenda as well, because it is going to be a joint effort to make change. And we'll certainly do that. Uh, we're just taking a small part in it. And I, again, commend you for everything that you're doing. Yeah. So outside of kind of the extracurricular work that you're doing, you're doing a lot at Facebook. You've been there for a while, you've grown there, you've matured there, you've seen a lot of things transpire. We'll keep the politics and the news out of it, but more specifically, I wanna hone in on your journey because there's something beautiful about 
One, the ability to stay at a company for more than the average of 24 months, but two, also your ability to progress, grow, innovate, change, adapt, all of those things. What do you think really helps you on a day-to-day basis stay consistent and stay focused on what Facebook's mission is as well as your own personal mission? Yeah, this is a great question. And I I have uh, several thoughts on this. So number one, when I think about career progression generally, and I'll I'll say this to anyone who asks, um, I think about two sort of vectors that you can optimize for. One is skill set optimization, and one is expertise and really defining a certain problem space. Starting off in my career, I wanted the skill set breadth. I wanted to strive to be an A plus generalist. And so the goal for me was to dabble in different functions to get sort of that rounded out training so that I could make better decisions faster by understanding how different dots connected. So, you know, I mentioned I I started off in engineering consulting at Deloitte. I came to Facebook in 2013. I did product and operations. I did creative global programs. I did a chief of staff type of role overseeing the business of our global business marketing team. Today, I lead a group called Global Business Strategy and Engagement looking after a few key functions, strategic partnerships, social good, and business equality. And importantly, I've defined a lot of my last several roles at Facebook. And I think in part, you know, I I give the company a lot of credit for providing that kind of leeway and that kind of white space for people to innovate within, including in their careers. Um, And so I would say that this core tenants that I think are really important for people to manifest are scrappiness, resourcefulness, that proactive problem solving, not waiting to be asked to do something, to take on an assignment, but defining what are the gaps? How can we fill them? What more can we do here? I'm curious if personally, I look back on engineering as being the culprit of how I think. Do you ever look back to what engineering taught you and has enabled you to do now? 100%. And I think the best articulation for me is it's made me fearless in solving problems. And that's such an incredible takeaway. And I think that's why I would recommend engineering and STEM generally to people is because it does teach you how to think and how to be logical, but also you get exposed to so many different types of problems that you you aren't intimidated by them. Exactly. I think personally, I look back at college and all of those grueling nights going through problem solving after problem and problem. And then you're finally looking at different solutions and realizing that I've trained this muscle memory to look at any problem, build the boundary conditions around it and find a solution. And that critical thinking kicks in and we go into the workplace, we carry that with us and that's what you've been able to do. And as you've done that, and as you've continued this journey through Facebook, nobody does anything alone. And there's always a lot of people that support us through that process, whether it's getting into a company or progressing within Who have been those key people for you that have helped accelerate your career, motivate you, inspire you, as well as give you feedback throughout? There's so many. And I I totally agree. You know, people call it your personal board of directors. Finding, so I have many. Um, I would say a few. Number one, the first person who interviewed me at the company. Um, You know, this was, this was in 2013. It was a phone interview. And I remember thinking like, this, this conversation really matters. Like this is the kind of conversation that can define my trajectory and how my life is gonna arc. And I literally just caught up with her again last week. You know, we've, we've kept in touch for over seven years now, we're friends. 
um, someone like that has a has a great deal of, of power and impact over my career. Um, I think about you know more recently some of the execs that um, have sponsored me, have mentored me, and have absolutely given me the hard feedback as well as the uh, the cheerleading on the side to make me better and to also push me. Um, and I think about a lot of my peers. You know, certainly I mentioned the the Facebook Women New York group. Like part of the reason we invest in fostering that community is because this is a this is a core group of people that become your trusted friends. And you can you can go to to peers to bounce ideas off of to get that quick feedback in a way that that feels authentic. Um, but it's been it's been really important, I think, to have the right people with the right uh, intentions around me. Um, and right means hard. Right means having the hard conversation and being brutal. And you know, if anything, feedback that I've I've heard and I really believe in is the worst thing to do, the meanest thing to do, is not give people that constructive feedback. It's to hold it back. And so, um, I, you know, I fostered a lot of really important relationships there and also externally, you know, and I think that's the other important thing. It's, it's really easy to, you know, to be heads down at work and to be super busy with your day job and not sort of come up for air, look around, network. No one likes the term networking, but guess what? <laughs> like, it's really important, particularly in a city like New York, um, to have those sort of, um, to have that foot traffic, to have to have the serendipity of conversations where ideas get sparked, connections get made. I think that's really important, especially in further expanding, you know, both your sphere of influence and your sphere of of friends. And that's kind of the beauty of what networking is. It's the spider web of people that you build throughout your life, this community that you foster. And it's not always easy to get that feedback but it's arguably the most important thing throughout your career. It's where you grow, it's where you learn. What I've noticed though, initially myself, when I was a lot younger, when I was a lot younger, I was very like resistant, reluctant to feedback. And then there's this inflection moment where I realized if I just kind of harbor this information and I lean into it, I realized I can learn a lot. And there's these moments where you have this inflection point and you continue to grow and you inject whatever you learned and take away from that moment, it's painful as hell. And you beat yourself up, but then you learn and you rise and you get better. So if you think back to some of the most, let's call it the most constructive feedback you've ever received. If you're willing to share, what was it? How did you learn from it and recover and get better? Yeah, I mean, I've had many, many conversations like this. Um, I think that a good example, and, and again, I think this is a sort of a common trait among people who are ambitious and want to just like, you know, do great work is prioritizing speed over togetherness. And so that's definitely feedback I received in the past, which is like, you can't just go and build a solution off in a corner going from zero to one on your own just for the sake of speed. You have to pause. You have to look around and understand what are the pre-existing conditions? What are the dynamics at play here? Who's already started this work? Don't reinvent the wheel if a team over here has already launched something that could be really useful. What are the various opinions? Who, who should be brought along on this journey? And so that's been it really transformational coaching because it really forces you to be more strategic, to be more thoughtful, to just survey the landscape, to get a sense of what the various, you know, who, who are the actors, what are their needs, and then think about, okay, now collectively, if we're approaching this North Star, 
what needs to happen. But that's very different from just go, running off and building a solution. And I, and I find myself now giving that feedback a lot to people, especially who are newer in their career, um, who really sort of put a certain value, they attribute value to being the first to build something, when in reality, going further together, more strategically and collectively, is typically a better solution. I think in saying all of that, what rings a bell for me is this idea that you measure twice and you cut once. Totally. And think through, maybe there's another team working on something or is there another stakeholder that you can collaborate with? It's important to pause and think about what's happening throughout a company, especially one that's moving extremely fast and continuously building. So as Facebook continues to build and you're growing there, you're constantly innovating on different things, what are your biggest aspirations and should Cheryl watch out? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I have so many aspirations. Well, starting off, you know, th this team that I've launched um, in part is focused on what we call business equality. We have over 140 million businesses on our platform all around the world. And particularly now coming out of COVID in this, you know, new reemerged economy where business is going to look different the role that small businesses play as the heartbeat of our of our economy and how they build, how they launch, how they hire people really matters. So when we think about equality, it's it's access to opportunity. It's the ability, you know, particularly with our business pages, you can build something for free in minutes in the palm of your hand. You don't have to have the the money or the time or the talents to build a website anymore. So it's, it's that access to go from zero to one and to manifest your brand, to engage with your customers directly. But the equality bit also is what does the, what does the aura of your brand instill in people? Are you casting diverse protagonists in your campaigns and in your marketing materials? Are you engaging with diverse communities? How do you think about that equality coming through in everything that you do? And I think that you know, we have to build back differently and better coming out of COVID, you know, certainly what, what the world looked like in 2018, 2019 wasn't working long-term. And I, and I give the United Nations a lot of credit for building the sustainable development goals, these 17 goals that we're trying to hit by 2030 for both governments, for businesses alike to pursue an agenda that's common and that's unified. Um, I think that there's a ton of runway to be had, but, but it does involve rethinking how we operate, how we do business in the future. Absolutely. Uh, constantly rethinking is the name of the game. The world, again, is moving at rapid speeds and it's probably only going to accelerate. And there's a lot for us to do there. What you're describing is really impactful on a macro scale. I'm curious, on a much more micro scale, what are you personally doing to enact on a lot of these goals and contribute to some of them? Yeah. So, I think about this in a few different ways. One is what are the what are the sets of scaled materials I can create that are free that are public, case studies, ed free educational courses, narratives to help inspire particularly businesses but also people to think along these lines. So, you know, building out that body of work to help establish our credibility and our thought leadership in the space is is one thing. Um, one of the programs that I'm that I'm working on now is focused on giving grant funding to black owned small businesses in the US. We know that black businesses had outsized devastation from COVID. So we committed, you know, 100 million across creators, nonprofits and black SMBs in this country, um, which I think is a really powerful statement that 
we're committed to helping them re regrow and, and regain their traction in the economy. Um, I think that, you know, everyone has a role to play. And so the, the starting position would be to ask, like, what more can be done? Uh, I think it's easy just to focus on like the day to day, but what's the longer term play? You know, I, I mentioned I do work with the UN women and part of that is um, my, my affiliation with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as they call it a goalkeeper. And there are people at different companies who are um, who take the responsibility to honor these sustainable development goals and then to help uh, educate people around us to block arms in driving those solutions as well. That's incredible. How do you balance all of this, by the way? I work a lot. I don't read, I don't have a lot of time to read books. I don't make the time to read books. Um, I, uh, I, I make time for friends and family, but I work pretty relentlessly. Um, importantly, I try to work really efficiently and productively. And so, you know, the other thing I, I to your earlier question about how do you, you know, be successful and, and sort of navigating your career, really focusing on impact. That's one of our values at Facebook, focus on impact. I don't care about the input, I care about the output. So I try to be pretty laser focused around prioritization, around delegation, around being crystal clear with what needs to happen, what needs to be solved for, by when, by whom. And, uh, and frankly, that manifests in my meeting style. <laughs> I try to have very productive meetings and drive decisions because ultimately, you know, I do the math if I'm lucky, I'm on this planet another, you know, 70 years. Like we don't have all the time in the world to make these changes. And for the record, ladies and gentlemen, Ariel has always been like this. It's an incredible <laughs> quality, fun story. Just to interject the conversation. I think it was about five years ago. We went to a good friend's wedding. Uh, we both are early risers. Everyone <laughs> in the bridal party was sharing one common house. Ariel and I woke up early and I believe you and I tried to cook together. Yeah. <laughs> it might've been a disaster, but it was a lot of fun. And I think we both learned to appreciate different traits and qualities that we're able to do in the kitchen. It's kind of reflective and analogous to what happens in a business meeting. Totally. You might, you might end up with a lot of different people who are A plus players, who know what they're doing, who want to have that impact, but it's not always easy to collaborate, right? Absolutely. And I think it's it's such a good anecdote because there is like that coordination cost and there is the the ability to pause, take a step back, figure out like what swim lane do you want to play and what role do you want to play is so important and it's, it's hard to do and it requires sort of constant like iteration but you're right i feel like we were two <laughs> type a bulls in a pen <laughs> it was fun we've both grown a lot from that moment and again it's so good talking with you today because you're an inspirational human being who is always hungry who's always working who always wants to drive impact we look at a lot of people coming out of COVID who especially just graduated and they're thinking about early on in their career, things might be over, they have no plan forward, they might not be able to get a job. If you were in their shoes right now, knowing what you know about mindset and kind of thinking about impact, what would be your recommendation to them? I would say nail your interview 
So, and what I mean by that is, first of all, you have to line up the interview. Like if you are, if you are coming out of school, this is a tough economy to be entering into. There's a great deal of uncertainty. First of all, like, how are you going to get your foot in the door? What needs to be true to make that happen? Are you outreaching on LinkedIn? Do you have a plan of attack in terms of industry sector? Or are you activating your network to help make introductions, what have you? Um, but nailing your interview, and I say that because I think a lot of people view interviews as sort of informational conversations. Maybe, you know, they've got a few boilerplate answers around, tell me about yourself and, you know, why do you want to work here? In order to shine through in what might be a very crowded economy with a lot of people going after the same jobs, really demonstrating differentiated value. So you've done your diligence, you've understood what does the business care about? What, what is the value that they need from you that you could provide off the bat? What is the competitive landscape? Do you have a perspective on that? Really doing your homework and then practicing, nailing your pitch, your elevator pitch, what you want to do, how you want to do it, having interesting questions to ask them to really vet the opportunity. Um, and even, you know, back in the day, I would say practice your handshake. Now we're not going to handshake for some time, but you know, it's how you, how you manifest your professionalism and, and your curiosity and your value add is really important. And I think people uh, underweight it. And so I would say nail your interview. I love that. I think in today's world, the one piece of advice I would give is practice your smile, especially if you're on a Zoom video call or any other video conferencing, let alone just purely on the phone. Smiling helps. It helps kind of convey your tone, your passion, your attitude. We have to evolve, right? We don't know how long this will last. At some point, we'll all go back to work. We'll start bumping elbows. Maybe we'll shake hands again. But you're right. It's important to nail that interview. And there's a lot of practice that goes into that. Absolutely. Would you agree 80, 90% of the work happens outside that conversation? Yes, I would. I think that's right. And I think it happens before the conversation. And, you know, I love what you're saying about smiling. You know, we don't want resting Zoom faces. Um, But it's also about practicing how you show up, how you articulate your perspectives, like that takes practice. No one is good at this off the bat. And I think, you know, if anything, one thing I learned throughout my education is like, I had to work really hard. I had to work really hard to get good grades that like, it took a lot of prep and diligence and, you know, rigor. And so I think having some of those traits, even now, even amidst a lockdown, having, having that discipline, I think is helpful. And ultimately, ultimately, and this is important too, it's a numbers game because you might be really qualified for a job and still not get it because someone else was in the pipeline or, you know, they were looking for something that you didn't have. And so also not, not taking a beat in the way that will hold you back, but being resilient, popping back up, understanding that, you know what, this wasn't meant to be on to the next one. Exactly. That resiliency is key, especially right now. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. We just have to move forward, learn from what happened. And sometimes things are out of our control. But as long as you keep practicing, as long as you keep working hard and reflecting on what happened and how you can continue moving forward, that's all that matters. So we've gone super deep on your career. You, again, have this curiosity for learning, for empowering people. Earlier on, you had mentioned that you do spend a good amount of time focusing on helping invest in women-led companies. 
So can you kind of talk a little bit about what that looks like? And then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into investing and your own personal relationship with personal finances. Sure. Um, so, you know, you, as you mentioned, women get um, far fewer seed dollars than men, uh, venture capital dollars throughout. And I think it's important that we understand that women entrepreneurs are a critical sector to invest in. I would say diverse entrepreneurs in general, um, but, but certainly women have had sort of that outsized uh, holdback in being business leaders and developing new businesses. So I think that, you know, being able to contribute, whether it's even through crowdfunding um, or through angel investing, et cetera, is, is a really valuable way to, to put your money where your mouth is. And so the organization that I've invested in is called Portfolio. It's uh, um, the goal is to have many, many micro VCs come together in a syndicate to help invest towards different uh, companies that will support women over the long term. So in my case, I invested in the Femtech Fund, which is focused on how can we advance medical treatments for women. A lot of these are very archaic. What, what needs to happen to make scientific revolutions around women's body and their reproductive health and various other elements. And so um, I would say like there's a lot of interesting organizations that, that are in this space, you know, Pipeline Angels, 37 Angels, um, you know, the Venture Collective, Elevest founded by Sally Krawcheck. That's that's more for, you know, passively investing, um, you know, in, in a checking or a, a savings account. Um, but just being aware, being aware that they exist, learning about them, if this is something that you care about. I think um, I've, I've certainly really enjoyed being on that journey. Part of what I fully intend to build throughout Career Meets World is exposing a lot of the issues that do happen across the globe, whether it comes to diversity or gender. And there's so many disparities out there in the world. And again, women-led companies get less seed funding. That is the headline, unfortunately, and that's hopefully changing over time. But you mentioned earlier, there's simplistic things, even as seatbelts were designed for men. What else is out there in the world that was designed for men and that you'd want to expose right now? Because I feel like you could probably rattle off a few things. Well, I mean, besides the gender pay gap, which we know is very real and pervasive, um, one thing I'll call out is the pink tax. So, you know, consumer goods made for women ha are more expensive than like for like products for men. And, you know, that's unfortunate because if you're getting paid less and you have to pay more for the same common goods, that's going to set you back even further. Um, so I think just being aware of these types of, you know, seemingly invisible disparities that actually culminate over time is, is the first step is becoming aware of it. Exactly. Part one is awareness. Part two is education and then engaging in the conversation that's happening around us. And then being an advocate, becoming an ally and supporting this cause, because again, personally, and I talk about this a lot, I'm not afraid about it, being an immigrant, but still being a white male, people look at me as a white male, I don't mm -hmm. have an accent, people don't know that I grew up in a family that had to assimilate to American culture, but I grew up going to school in America, so Personally, it was a confusing time, but on the surface, people obviously perceive me a certain way. But it took me a long time to become aware of that. And again, I'm proud of that awareness, but it wasn't easy. 
So I'd encourage all men and even women, there are things we're all blind to, but be Absolutely. open to the conversation. I think step one is knowing that everyone has bias. We all have bias. And so that's literally the first step. Exactly. So on a more fun note and kind of extracting out of that, if we dig into Ariel as a whole and how you look at finances, I feel like there is a great story to tell there, partly because you're so deeply focused on empowering women. And I think there's a story there. I think there's a lot that we can talk about where it comes to how women think about finances. And again, I think there might be a disparity in how men and women are taught to look at the financial world. So one, what's your relationship with personal finances? How did you start thinking about it? How do, how do you look at it now? And what can you share with the audience? Yeah. Um, you know, the word, the two words that come to mind are financial feminism. And I think that purchasing power is, is empowering and how we think about money shouldn't be taboo. I think a lot of um, women grow up believing that it's kind of a taboo topic. It's maybe um, not something that you would bring up at the dinner table, not something that you would bring up on a first date. Like it's something that makes us feel uncomfortable. It's cringeworthy sometimes. And so my starting position would be, let's, let's change that positioning around money. Let's talk about, you know, we talk about sex before we talk about money. Like, let's change that. Um, the second thing I would say is that I think a lot of times we grow up believing that there's going to be sort of a knight in shining armor that comes and saves us. And whether that's, you know, inheritance or whether that's someone we're going to marry who's going to provide for us. I think we should eliminate that altogether. We should assume that we have to look out for ourselves. So therefore, you have to be really thoughtful. What are your goals? What are your financial goals, both short, medium, and long term? How are you thinking about retirement planning? You know, which by the way, I never wanted to think about retirement planning in my 20s. I mean, that's like that's lame. It's boring. It's important though. And I think now I've 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 seen, you know, the the magic of the compounding interest, the magic of passive income, the magic of optionality. Really what this comes down to is you want to preserve your degrees of freedom in this lifetime, particularly if you're, if you're working hard, you're making money, you want to be able to have options. And I think that's what money provides. And I would say to people, like, just start investing. Like, you don't want to be missing out on returns because you never just got into the game. If you can get into the game, I think it's important to. And I realize that's an incredibly privileged position to have. A lot of people don't have that option. And so the other angle here is, okay, well then what do we do to make the world more equal, to, to, to create that playing field that's more equitable? So that's exactly what I was gonna ask you next. And you led into that beautifully, which is you obviously had a supporting cast early on in your life, your family, and obviously going through a formal education at a university, whereas a lot of people aren't afforded that opportunity so for those who might not have the same upbringing, what's your recommendation on how to start? Mm. I think there's a lot of good research and good books to read around um, thoughtful financing. And, you know, I think there's a few, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this now through everyone you've interviewed for this podcast, you know, paying off debt when you can, right? And not, and not overspending when you can, right? Certainly there are cases where that's not gonna be an option, but I think having that, that hygiene and, and discipline is important. Um, you know, I think it also goes back to trying to get a job and I know that's tough, but like ultimately when you look at your income sources, like that's important, that's an important lever in your, in your financial story. And so 
I'm hoping that through actions that businesses take, that governments take, we start to see um, minimum pay wages go up, but also that gender pay disparity goes down and that you do start to see that, that shift in people's financial landscapes. I agree. For the record, though, I will say there is some healthy debt. Uh, not all debt is bad, but oftentimes people live outside of their means and can't pay for the basic things like rent or food. And again, make sure to prioritize a budget. I will always honor that. But there are things that are healthy, like a mortgage or investing in education. And if you can't pay for that off the bat, obviously, please go and get a loan and invest in yourself. Learning is the best thing you can continuously do. Yeah. So as we kind of come to a close, I obviously want to pepper you with some fun and intriguing questions. And Great. like many of our guests, they join me in the hot seat where I will ask you some fun questions, always tailored specifically for you. And I just want to know, are you ready? Absolutely. Bring it on. Let's do it. So, Ariel, if you could invest in one company for the rest of the time, what would be the industry? Maybe it's a specific company, but how would you approach that? So funny. My answer would be like, I wouldn't take that bet because all I've been told is to diversify my portfolio. <laughs> So I wouldn't invest in one company for the end of time. And, you know, maybe a second answer would be I would invest in myself and I would be that company. Sole proprietor to employer to LLC, what have you. That's exactly what I expected as an answer. So I appreciate that. Uh, on a more fun note, I think right now, especially this work-life balance is super hard. Everyone's kind of going through their own motions. There is no boundary condition now where we leave work and we come home, we can kind of separate things. What are you personally doing right now to keep your mental health up? Hmm. Such a good question. Um, so exercise, that's been invaluable. What's your form of exercise? So I do, um, I do Peloton biking now as of late, um, but I'll do uh, online workout classes, um, you know, literally in my bedroom. I mean, and going outside, taking walks, yoga, you know, what have you. I mean, I think it's just important to, to move and to, to get outside of my head a little bit. Um, other mental health, I mean, I'm trying to sleep more. I'm not great at it, but that is the goal. <laughs> we release seven hours a night. Um, I've really enjoyed actually getting, um, getting hooked on certain TV series that just spark joy. And I think, you know, TV is a nice way of, of engaging with a set of characters over a longer period of time beyond just a movie. So I, that's, that's been a, a fun way of, of sort of, you know, channeling some, some energy. But um, I think being aware, I mean, I keep a gratitude journal by my, by my uh, bed that I write in every night. You know, I try to, I try to be, you know, introspective and self-aware as much as I can. I love that gratitude journal and just being grateful for the small things we have in life. It's important to go back to that. We often lose sight of it. So keep doing that, keep exercising, keep doing yoga. And I think a little bit of TV once in a while is certainly good. It just allows you to escape and be in a different reality. One final one for you. So I know you love learning from incredibly successful people, men or women. 
if you could have dinner with three different people, hmm. who would be at that table? I mean, Michelle Obama, um, Sheryl Sandberg, and Melinda Gates. Powerful women. I love that. Great answers. You survived. Uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed everything that you shared today. You discussed. You're doing so many beautiful things out there in the world. You're working hard. You're committed to impact. You're committed to helping people and committed to helping really humanity. That's how I see it. Everything you're doing will percolate throughout different organizations. It'll inspire people. Hopefully it inspires some of our listeners as well to mimic and create some of their own pathways and destinations that they want to go to, but remind themselves, my biggest takeaway from your journey is that you're always a problem solver. It doesn't matter what the problem is. You look at what's in front of you, accept reality, and you pick apart what you can and can't control, and then you move forward. So again, thank you for joining the show. I do want to make sure that our listeners are able to connect with you and chat with you. So what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, well, there's a great platform called Facebook. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I'm always happy to, to have conversation. Beautiful. So we'll post everything in the show notes. If you do want to connect with Ariel, there will be multiple ways of doing that. Again, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know, I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.